to Hillcrest Church Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Thank you, Christian. Hello. How are you today? My name is Tim. I am on the teaching team here at Hillcrest, and we are continuing our uh, series on John uh, today. So um, we're doing this, uh, this series called I Am, and we're looking at this ancient biography of Jesus uh, called John, and looking at what Jesus had to say about Jesus in the book of John, and kind of how he explains himself to us. And so we're going to continue today in that series. The book of John is way to the right in your Bible. It's after Luke and before Acts. And today we're going to start in John chapter 10. If you want to open your Bibles up there, uh, we'll be there in just a moment. Uh, So uh, a few years ago, I think it's about 18 years now, uh, after I graduated college, myself and four friends, uh, we had the opportunity to go to Nepal. Uh, there we are, uh, the five of us. We got to go to Nepal. We worked with, uh, in Kathmandu with kids whose lives were all around the street. Um, it was a really special season of life. And during that time, we also had the chance to go on a couple treks. And so in that fall of 2002, we did this trek to Everest Base Camp. And uh, it takes a couple weeks because of acclimatization and this kind of thing. Um, and you're staying in these like Nepali guest houses, these tea houses at night. But you're just walking and walking and walking. And I can remember um, the five of us were, you know, just all this time to talk. Long trails and these, you know, nights um, around the dinner table together. And I can remember one day, I think it was after we passed this little village, Namche Bazaar. My friend John, um, we called him Mole. Uh, Mole asks... The question, how, guys, how would you define the good life? And here we are, just out of college, kind of just beginning our life as adults in the world. And we spent hours talking about our dreams of what kind of men we would become, kind of uh, friendships we would have over the years, what kind of families we would have, where we'd live, our connection to the mountains, our connection to God, our connection to meaningful vocations, unpacking as young men uh, this vision of what the good life uh, might be. And it's, uh, have you had those kind of conversations that echo through the years? It's one of these conversations that have echoed through the years for us. And that even, um, even now, so in just a couple weeks, I'm going to be getting together with these same guys. And we're going to be talking about these same kind of things uh, in this season of life. Um, uh, what, what does it mean to live this good life? And, you know, when I think about our community and my heart, I hope we all have deep good friends who love Jesus that we can have these kinds of conversations with as we go through life. Um, But before, so kind of as we start today, I want to offer that question uh, to us. And I would just say, like, um, if you pause, and maybe even right now or maybe later this week, how would you, what would you say is the good life? And this kind of follow-up conversation, not only what is the good life, but how, how do you get the good life. I think uh, probably if most of us are honest, 
we would probably, you know, as we reflect on that, I think if, at least for myself, I recognize that I have struggle around these questions. Like one, I think for a lot of us, our, our, our ideas about what the good life is, that vision might be half formed and influenced by a million factors. And, and even how do we get to the good life that we desire? So often we, the very choices we are making in our lives are again, they're not leading us to deep joy. They're leading into all kinds of other things. I think even in the confession we read earlier, it recognizes that we struggle to find the good life. There's a book a number of years ago called The Progress Paradox by a guy, Greg Easterbrook. And um, essentially he unpacks how in the, the modern West we're the most affluent society in all human history. And yet it has not been leading to greater levels of joy and contentment. One quote from the book is, um, he says, The percentage of Americans who describe themselves as happy has not budged since the 1950s. Though the typical person's real income more than doubled through that period. And if you look at kind of any metric that, you know, for joy and contentment, you look at depression or anxiety or suicidality or loneliness and lack of community, any of these things, you see whether you look at 50 years, you look at 10 years, they're all going up in spite of us living in one of the most affluent societies in all human history. We struggle, I think, to find and live into the good life, this deep joy. And as we move into John 10 today, the question that I would have for all of us to kind of just be willing to ask ourselves is what if, what if Jesus might have something we need to know, something that we can't know and find in and of ourselves? What if Jesus might have something we need to know about getting the good life. I want to open ourselves up to that question as we open up um, to the text for the day. So now I want to to listen to what Jesus has to say about this. So we're going to be in John chapter 7, beginning in verse, uh, or John chapter 10, excuse me, beginning in verse 7, and we'll pick up there. And um, we're picking up in the middle of the conversation, and we read this. Jesus is talking to these religious leaders. He says, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Pause there. Now, we're jumping in the middle of the conversation. You're like, what does this have to do with a good life, Tim? Uh, Little background before we move on. So so Jesus, he's, um, he's working with, there's two things we need to know. One, he's working with a metaphor, a word picture that was very common in ancient Israel. This word picture, this metaphor that God is the shepherd of his people who are the flock. And that God appoints under-shepherd leaders like prophets and priests and kings to be under-shepherds caring for his flock. It's a very common, it was a common, I mean people knew shepherds in their real life, but it was also a common image that we see in scripture all the time. People would have known that this is what Jesus is talking about. The second thing that we need to know here is this, that this conversation is taking place around the Jewish uh, festival known as Hanukkah. And the main, the main thing for our purposes today is that Hanukkah, importantly, is among other things about good and bad shepherd leadership in Israel's past. And so there's this, all, this whole kind of background of shepherd leadership. What kind of shepherd leaders lead people into the good life? 
lead the community into the good life. That's all swirling around the background here when Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. So let's go back to the text and uh, continue on here. Verse 8. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. So here Jesus Jesus is contrasting himself with these bad shepherd leaders of the past in Israel. Obviously, it's hyperbolic. Not every shepherd leader in Israel's past was bad. There's Moses and Deborah and David. But in this kind of context, he's contrasting himself with those who have harmed the community in the past. He goes on in verse 9. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me... Will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So um, Jesus here, uh, he's continuing. Um, to unpack this shepherd image. And now he kind of begins working with the image of the, the sh- where the shepherds um, house their sheep at night, the sheepfold. And I think we have an image of a sheepfold here. Yeah, so, so in ancient Israel, um, at nighttime, the shepherds, they would take their, their flock to like a cave and they'd maybe pile these rocks up to kind of complete the enclosure. And then they, they'd bring their sheep in there at night. They'd even pile thorns and brambles up on the side so wolves couldn't get in at night. And this, so, so the gate, the gateway would have been the door, the path would have been the way the flock, the sheep went into safety at night, and also the way they would have come out during the day for pasture, for feeding and water, for life. It was the way to safety and the way to life. And so Jesus, he's saying, I am the gate with the doorway to safety and life. And so I, I want to ask a couple questions about what Jesus means by this. If he is the, the way uh, to safety and life, what is, what is the life that he's talking about? What does he mean by the word life? Is it just biological life? What does Jesus mean by life? In the book of John, it is, among other things, a book about life. I just kind of zipping through it this week. I counted 47 references to life. Jesus talks about life all the time. You want to do a fascinating study, just study how Jesus talks about life in the book of John. And what you'll find in the book of John oftentimes is that Jesus will talk about eternal life. And in the book of John, the, the short, when he just says life by itself... It seems like he means the same thing. He, it's an interchangeable with eternal life. So probably here when he says I've come to have life, he's talking about this eternal life. Which just raises the next question. What does Jesus mean by eternal life? And this is where I think it gets super interesting. Because when we hear eternal life, I think um, a lot of times we uh, hear it initially just in terms of quantity. Life that goes on and on and on and on. But there is also, when we look deeper, this whole sense of quality, a quality of life that is included in the phrase eternal life. Um, 
little rabbit trail here. Uh, for, for you who've read all the other ancient biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in those um, biographies of Jesus, he actually talks a lot more about the kingdom of God. And here in John, he talks a lot more about eternal life. And most people would say those two, there's a, they're very similar things. Kingdom of God, eternal life are very similar ideas that Jesus is talking about in both places. If you're interested in comparing those, uh, those biographies of Jesus. But eternal life. So what is this quality of life that he's talking about? So um, the phrase eternal life in Greek is zoane ionion. And I think we have it here. Uh, zoane life. And then Ionion, of the age. And what it means in this, uh, this um, Jewish context is life of the age to come. Uh, Jews in Jesus' day would have kind of split history into these two ages. This age, the age of sin and death and sadness, and the age to come. The age when God sets all things right. And Jesus says, I have come to give life of the age to come to you. And so the life of the age to come, it was not just, it's not just a quantitative, it's not just longer, it's, it's better. The life of the age to come, it is on the other, it is resurrection life on the other side of death that goes on and on and on for eternity. But it's better. It's life, it's resurrected life on the, the renewed earth when heaven and earth have come together or rightly related to creation. It's, it's resurrection life when we see God face to face. We're fully known and fully loved. There's no more shame. There's no sin or death or sadness or tears or pain. It's life of the age to come where we are, we're around God's messianic banquet table, his multi-ethnic kingdom people celebrating together under King Jesus. It's life of the age to come when we're set free from the shame and the guilt that can grab hold of our hearts so often. This is life of the age to come. And Jesus says, I've come to give you the life of the age to come. But it gets even better. Because um, for Jesus, the eternal life that he has come to give, he talks about it in both the future tense, something we will gain, but also the present tense. There's this already and not yet tension to the life of the age to come. That not yet has God come and set all things right and we, we experience the life of the age to come in full. But already when, when a person trusts in Jesus, commits their life to Jesus, joins the Jesus community, already we begin experiencing the life of the age to come here and now. The zoane ionion, here and now. We begin, we, we begin to be, we're set free from our guilt and those things that separate our heart from God. We're right, we right now are fully known and fully loved by God and can live in that intimate relationship. Right now, we can begin following Jesus, following his teachings, letting him rewire our emotional worlds, heal our past wounds, letting him re reshow us how to live in right relationship with one another. Right now, by his spirit, we get integrated into his great global multi-ethnic kingdom community around King Jesus. Right now, we're shown how to rightly relate to this world that he has created and gifted to us. Right now, his spirit is implanting joy into our hearts. The, the zoe, zoe ionion, the life of the age to come, begins today. Jesus says, I have come to give life. Life. 
I've come that they may have life, the eternal life, the life of the age to come, and have it to the full. Even that last phrase, that have it to the full, it doesn't mean have to just the right amount. It means, it means something like have overflowing the edges. Have abundantly. Have more than you even need. Have spilling over the sides. Jesus says, I've come that you might have this life of the age to come. Spilling over the sides of your life. Jesus Jesus, he's saying, he's saying, I I have not come to steal your life, to wreck your life, to to destroy your life. He says, I have come, the very reason I have come is I know that you, left to your own devices, you cannot find the deeply good and unending real life I designed you for. And I have come to give that to you. I've come that you might find this life and i am the gate i am the door i am the pathway into that life so where do we go what do we do with this you know i think about um you know i think about those of us um who are in the community but maybe maybe it's still in, kind of on our journey to jesus we're skeptical about faith we're exploring faith i'm grateful that uh you are with us exploring um following jesus with us and i would just i would just want to recognize that um you know i think our world a very natural story we get told is that the good life comes from having stuff and having freedom. If you have enough stuff, you have enough freedom, you will have the good life. And it's, um, it's, I think, laid bare in this season when we are entering into an economic recession and our freedom is severely curtailed, that it can feel like the good life is just receding farther and farther and farther away from us. But if, but if the good life actually consists in much more than what stuff we have and what freedom we have, if the good life actually comes from Jesus, um, that's accessible here and now. He is accessible here and now. And so if you're asking those questions, my question that I would want to just ask you to, to ponder is what if Jesus wants to give you abundant life where you're at right now in the midst of all the ways that you might lack stuff and lack freedom what if right in the midst of it jesus is saying to you i've come that you might have life and have it to the full right where you're at today another another kind of implication i want to explore um, I found myself kind of thinking about the implications for those of us who are followers of Jesus in how we, com- how we share Jesus with others. 
So, I th- you know, if you have uh, you, uh, friends in your class at school who, are, who don't know Jesus, or coworkers who don't know Jesus, or family members who don't know Jesus, or even, I, I think for a lot of us, you know, as parents or grandparents, introducing our kids to Jesus. And, and, and how does that work? And one of the things that I'm just struck by is how much Jesus understands that we are not just thinking beings, but we are loving and longing beings. That we're not just brains on sticks. That Jesus doesn't simply try to argue people into the kingdom. And I, like, I love good arguments for the, his, the historical reliability of the resurrection. Don't get me wrong. But when I think, I think about my kids, I, I want to raise them in a way where they, they have a longing for Jesus. I don't want to, um, I don't want to argue my, uh, my third grader into the kingdom. I want to romance her into the kingdom. That there's a, Jesus doesn't say, what Jesus does in this text is he comes and he says, I am, you know that deep longing in your heart, that ache that you haven't been able to satisfy? It actually, I am the one who has come to fulfill that. I think, about, I think about when people um, as adults or, or even te- as, as people move to f- discover Jesus for themselves. And I think about for most people, before someone says, I cognitively believe in Jesus, they usually say something like this. I don't yet believe in Jesus, but I wish he were real. I've heard about him. And if only there was someone that true and good and graceful and just, I would give my life to that person. And how we, how we draw out the longing in people's hearts that is already there for this king of the universe. The last thing that I just, as I think about implications of this, the last thing is just, I think for all of us, just this call, like I found myself pressed this week by just the question, what would my life look like? Uh, what would happen if I deeply believed in my heart of hearts that Jesus is the doorway to the good life? How might my daily decisions, my daily choices look differently in my heart if I thought the, the teaching of Jesus, walking close to Jesus, listening to his voice is always the way? To the good life. And I just think, I think that um, this is what he wants for us. There is, I believe there is not a single person listening right now who Jesus doesn't say to each and every one of us, myself included, I have more life to give you if you would trust me. And I want to end with just this image of how much Jesus wants to give this to us. How much he wants this for us. This, um, you know, this image of Jesus as the gate. There's this second sense that he is the gate as well. Let's, let's go to the, the gate image again. Um, that he, he, he is the gateway. That he is the path to um, real life of the age to come. But there's this another sense, this, this, the image that Jesus was working with here, that at night shepherds would take their flock into the sheepfold. They'd pile up the brambles and stuff to keep them safe. And then the chief shepherd, the lead shepherd who loved the flock, 
would physically lay his or her body down in the gateway. They would be the gate so that during the night, if anything came to harm that flock, if wolves came to tear that flock apart, to to bring death, that shepherd would be saying, I put myself in between you and anything that would do you harm. They'll have to come through me to get to you. And Jesus is the gate because he says to us, I put my life, I lay it down to be between you and death and the payment of sin and anything that would do you lasting harm. And he does this because he wants to give each and every one of us his Zoane Ionion, his life of the age to come. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, you know, even this morning as we talk about these questions about what is the good life and how do we get there, like I recognize that you see our, you see our real lives as they are in the very moment that we're hearing these words. And you know the aches, you know the longings, you know the places that we feel uh, like we, we're missing that. You know the places that we feel like we're thwarting ourselves from experiencing deep joy in our lives. Uh, and Jesus, you also know your heart for each and every one of us, that you want this good life, this life of the age to come for us even more than we want it for ourselves. And uh, I guess just for myself and all those listening, I pray that we would taste this morning um, your longing for us to experiencing that life, that we could get caught up in that longing, that we could receive from you and follow you and trust you for the life that you have to give us. Pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Church. For more info on this and other sermons, visit us online at hcbellingham.com or join us at 9 or 11 a.m. any Sunday morning, 1400 Larrabee Ave, Bellingham, Washington.